lessons for our own lives from the lives of biblical characters. Now, for those of you who are not of a certain age, and you may not realize what that instrument is on the left side of the picture here, that's called a telephone. <laughs> At any rate, when God calls, how do we respond? What does it mean? The reason, we, the reason this message is based on the idea of God's call is that this is Shabbat Vayikra, which begins with God calling to Moses. Vayikra el Moshe v'yadaber Adonai, a love, me'ohel moed lemor. The Lord called, it's a very strange way to begin the, chap, the, the book. The Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. Why doesn't the book just begin as hundreds of other verses in Torah begin? And God spoke to, to Moses saying, why does the text prefix, prefix before it, God called, the Lord God called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. Why? that prefix. The rabbis are rather puzzled about that, and they give us three suggestions. The tradition says about why God called to Moshe. First of all, after finishing the tabernacle, remember they had just come through the 10 plagues in Egypt. They had just come to Mount Sinai. They'd gone through the whole Mishagos with the golden calf. Moses has been an incredible leader. Now they have built the Mishkan, the tabernacle, which was a huge building project. And Moses comes in. Now the tabernacle is built. Moses is intimidated to meet with God in the tabernacle. And so the rabbis say maybe the reason that God called to Moses was a kind of a word of reassurance. God was encouraging him to engage. Second possibility it's possible that after all that work that Moshe Rabbeinu had done, well, have we lost my picture? Why have we lost my picture? Just a moment, folks. It's possible that after all of that work was done, leading them through Egypt, coming to Mount Sinai, the Mishmash, receiving the Torah, the, the, the Ten Commandments, the mishmash with the golden calf, and the building of the tabernacle, Moshe now is an old man, and he figures, okay, I'm done. Or maybe God is done with me. Some of you out there sometimes wonder, is God done with me? Well, God wants to do for you what he did for Moshe. Moshe calls him as a word of encouragement. Come on, I still got work for you to do. That's fantastic. The third possibility is Moshe was precious to God, and God, by calling him, was expressing affection for him. So these are possible reasons why God called Moshe. But what about God calling us? I want to talk to you today briefly about four kinds of callings that involve you, all of you, and me. First, let's just define what a calling is. Let's define a calling this way. A calling is a God-given condition of life involving responsibilities 
for which we are accountable. I'll say it again. A calling is a God-given condition of life that involves responsibilities for which we are accountable. Now, the first kind of calling that we have in life is that we're born into a certain people group. And that's not an accident. The conditions of your birth were so, not something that happened behind God's back. Here I'm quoting from an article by uh, David Rudolph, who used to attend our congregation and is the world's premier Messianic Jewish. There it goes again. He is the world's premier Messianic Jewish uh, Pauline scholar. And here's what he says. In the English language, we sometimes speak of a person's calling in life, a path or direction that seems to be laid out for them and it reflects their unique disposition, talents, or motivations. Today, it's unusual for us to speak of the calling of a nation or an ethnic group. But in first century Jewish thought, Israel's election as God's chosen people was of paramount importance and a sense of national calling was normative. In other words, the Jewish people as the people have a calling. And if you're one of that people, you're part of that calling. And all the other nations of the earth have callings of their own. But let's go on. David Rudolph continues, Paul can therefore say in Romans 11, 28 and 29, that, quote, as regards election, they, the Jewish people, are beloved for the sake of their ancestors, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. So as part of the Jewish people, we all have a calling with that people. And David Rudolph continues, and we've all studied 1 Corinthians together on Wednesday nights, so this may be familiar to you. In 1 Corinthians 7, verse 17 to 24, Paul draws on this Jewish conceptual framework and presents Jewish calling as an illustration to help communicate his stance about marriage and celibacy. Paul's point is that just as Jews should remain in their calling as Jews and Gentiles, <coughs> in their calling as Gentiles, so should the married and celibate remain in their respective callings. Each has the Lord's approval. The Corinthians should not think of celibacy as good and marriage as bad. And by the way, Gentiles should not think of being Jewish as good and being a Gentile as bad. No, 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 you're not junk. Eschatological blessing is not contingent on marriage or celibacy. Jews should remain in their calling as Jews and Gentiles in their calling as Gentiles. So the first kind of calling that involves all of us is our calling as part of a people. Secondly, the second kind is that we all have a calling because of God-ordained life roles. If we're married, that's a calling where we have responsibilities for which we are accountable to God. That's what a calling is, a condition of life, a God-ordained condition of life 
which involves responsibilities for which we are accountable. Marriage, for those of us who are married, is a calling. We have a responsibility to that. Being parents is a calling. When a person has a child, they don't have to wonder, is it God's will for me to take care of my children? That's your calling. We have a civil calling. We have a responsibility to be good citizens. It's, uh, it goes with the territory. It's a condition of life for which we have responsibilities. Vocation, the work that you do. Should you, you know, Paul talks a lot about, about masters and slaves. Now, we need to realize that slavery in the ancient world was more, uh, more like, at least in the Roman slavery, it was more like being uh, a, a kind of a, of a, of a migrant worker uh, of a, an, uh, and, and of being a person who had lesser social, um, civil privileges because you were not a citizen, but they, they also had work. They had a station in life, which was a little lower on the, on the totem pole, but slaves, this uh, labor force, should treat their masters with respect because that's, for the time being, that's your calling. Paul says, if you can get free, that's great. But if not, treat your masters right. And masters, don't oppress your slaves. That's part of your calling to be responsible to God and accountable to God for how you conduct yourself in your vocational calling. So there's four kinds of callings that all of us have. Marital, if we're married. Parental, if we're parents. Civil as citizens, and in whatever your employment is, you have a responsibility to do it as unto the Lord. Sounds familiar? I think it should. The third kind of calling that we have is our calling in salvation. Paul tells us in Romans 8, those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those whom he predestined, that's us, he also called. And those he called, he also justified, and those he justified, he also glorified. We have a calling. We did not become believers in Yeshua because we were smart, because our friends were good at convincing us of things. Ultimately, as Yeshua said, no one can come to me except the Father draw him. And this is what uh, theologians call the effectual calling. When God calls in this sense, it's not that he's calling to our ears, it's that he calls us into his family. It's a sovereign work of God. The fourth kind of calling that involves all of us is a calling to kingdom service. It's a sense of your niche or your assignment in God's kingdom and his people. Your assignment in service to God's kingdom and his people. It's a holy conviction that you ought to go in a given direction and honor certain responsibilities because God seems to be calling you to do so. I remember years ago, I was in the, uh, I was in my house in San Francisco when I lived there and I was studying the Bible, and I got a call. 
Now, that's, this was an unusual experience. I was reading about priesthood in the Bible. And I realized that my own personal gifts um, clustered around the role of a priest, facilitating people in worship, ministering to people in their woundedness and teaching, those three things. And that was a, that was a, a, a revelation to me. It, it kind of, the thought kind of invaded my inner being. It had a kind of a silvery energy. It was not just an insight. It was something else. It was an encounter with God. I realized also the Bible said in Romans, if a man's gift is teaching, let him teach. And I realized I needed to be in a situation where I taught. And that led me to coming down to Los Angeles, getting a master's and a PhD. And it led to my PhD dissertation being all about priesthood, all growing out of that, that encounter. It was a calling. And your calling for service will be a sense of your niche and of your assignment in service to God and his kingdom. It'll be a holy conviction that you ought to go in a given direction and honor certain responsibilities because God seems to be calling you to do so. How do these things come? How do, how do these come? How do callings in kingdom service come? First of all, they come from scripture. You may come across something in scripture as I did, which has your name on it. Without a doubt, you have a holy conviction. That holy conviction is marinated in prayer as you pray about it. It really comes alive for you. A sense of your call also comes from assessing your giftedness set. That's your natural abilities, your acquired skills, and your spiritual gifts. Those three things, natural abilities, acquired skills, and spiritual gifts. As you assess those, it can give you a sense of what you're supposed to be doing. I have no doubt that God did not call me to be a ballet dancer. Uh, I, uh, I, I do have reason to believe that God called me to be a teacher because of my natural abilities, my acquired skills, my spiritual gifts. So as you assess this combination, it can help you to get a, a kind of a good guess on what your calling is, your, your sp spiritual calling uh, as a, to serve a niche in God's kingdom. The counsel and confirmation of mentors and elders Timothy had this. Paul told uh, Timothy to uh, exercise his spiritual gift and his calling, which came to him by the laying on of hands by the elders. The elders had a sense from God of what Timothy ought to be doing. So if you have a sense of calling, don't go running over some cockamamie direction without checking it with elders whose judgment is going to be uh, firm and mature. Another way that you sometimes know is double confirmation. Sometimes you'll sense that God has shown you something. This has happened in my life. It's happened in many lives. I was taught about it by my mentor at Fuller Seminary, uh, Bobby Clinton. You'll, you'll have a, a sense of something uh, through one of the means that we just discussed you have a sense that God seems to be calling you to do something. And then somebody who knows nothing about this uh, will out of the blue come up to you 
and say the same thing to you. And, uh, and that's double confirmation, uh, where God arranges sovereignly that something is dittoed by someone who has no way of knowing what God has been showing you. Finally, there is an element of revelation. Sometimes God just shows you. Um, I talk about this with fear and trepidation because there's a lot of weirdness in the world and people have all kinds of cockamamie ideas about what God has shown them. And that, that does no good and a lot of damage. But it also would do, me, do you damage for me to tell you, to give you the impression that God never does that. He does do that. He gives people revelatory dreams. He gives people words of knowledge. He, he, gives, he gives us revelation at times. But as I say here, it should be tested because it, it spills over into the area of subjectivity and we have a very pronounced tendency and skill in deceiving ourselves and following wishful thinking. So yes, God does reveal things, but also yes, it should be confirmed. So what should we do with all of this? A calling is a God-given condition of life and follow the responsibilities for which we are accountable. Therefore, we should honor our callings. If you're a parent, be the best parent that you can possibly be. If you're a spouse, be the best spouse you can be. If you're an employee, the best employee you can be. An employer, the best employer you can be. As a citizen, be the best citizen as you can be. You don't have to pray about any of these things. You don't have to wonder, does God want me to do these things? It's your calling. And whatever your sense of spiritual calling and service to the kingdom is, uh, <coughs> Paul says, if any man's gift is teaching, let him teach. If his gift is, gi is giving, let him give liberally. Uh, you know, Do it with all your heart. That's what he says. So honor your calling as part of your people. Honor your familial, civil, and vocational roles. Honor the salvation into which you are called. Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. <laughs> for God is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Don't just take it for granted. Work on it. Paul says uh, that Messiah, that, that uh, we should also be prepared to deal with suffering for Messiah also suffered for you that you should follow in his steps. This too is a calling, a calling to the sacrifices of life that are entailed in being Yeshua's servant. Honor your relationship with Jews, Gentiles and the congregation of Messiah. Paul says, give no offense either to Jews, to Gentiles or the congregation of Messiah. You're called to not be offensive to these groups. Honor your niche in kingdom service and be comforted with these lessons from the calling of Moshe that is embedded in that very first verse of Leviticus. When you are intimidated 
Remember that God calls you into relationship with himself. God does not want you to be intimidated about approaching him. He invites you. <laughs> he welcomes us. He's eager to spend time with us, to give us his attention, to reveal things in our lives. So if you're intimidated, remember that God calls us into relationship with himself. If you think that you're over and done, remember that God still has work for you to do. Whether you're young or old, sometimes people feel, I've sinned so much, I've screwed up my life so much, God has no use for me. Not true. And some of you may feel that you're at an age where God has done with you. I face that. I face sometimes the sense that certain people think I'm yesterday's news, and I buy into that. Well, in the words of the prophet, I'm not dead yet. Neither are you. So if you think that you're over and done, remember that God still has work for you to do. Finally, remember that you're precious to God, just as God called to Moses as a sign of affection. So he calls to us. So may the God who called you into his kingdom through Yeshua the Messiah, may the God who says of you, my sheep know my voice. May you hear his call. May you honor the various callings in your life. And may you not be intimidated May you not feel yourself excluded. And may you know and never forget that we're all precious to God. Let's have a word of prayer. I pray, Father, that the word that has been sown would bear fruit. We pray that even as our Haftorah reading today said that God was going to pour his spirit upon us, that you would pour forth your spirit upon this word that has been presented, that it would germinate in our hearts, and that it would bring redemptive change. We not only have we not outgrown our need for you, we don't begin to fathom how totally dependent we are on you. But we have an inkling. So God, we come to you as needy as we are. And we remember what you said in your word, that my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Messiah Yeshua. Right now, what we need is deeper illumination. We need for this word to take root and bring change. May we go forth with this germinating word and be your change agents in the world that you created according to your will. We ask this with thanksgiving and confidence. In Messiah's name. Amen. Now I'd like to ask.